So you can just take your spine and bring it erect. And then take in a deep breath. Release the breath. And breathe it again. Some skills, sort of, sort of working skills that you have to learn with with the yoga science. Always take the opportunity, you know, to, to ask the questions um, or to show up in satsang. Don't say next week or later. It may not be a next week or later for you or for me. You never know. So always take the always take the opportunity. With this uh, t topic of altruism, often people don't equate uh, yoga and, alt and altruism in the same sentence, which means they're grandly missing the point. It means they know nothing, you know. But it's it's good to be very honest. Like I don't know anything. That means you're an open open vessel at that point. But if you say I know I know this I know that, you're like a vessel full of useless rocks, <laughs> you know, you may be full, but it's useless, you know, you, you need gem, gems of knowledge, gems of wisdom. Um, if, if we um, look at the concept of God, as God, let's take the preface that God is a reality, reality. Then you have to ask the question, what hasn't God given you? <laughs> See? It gave you opportunity. It gave you your next breath. It gave you a world to live in. It gave you abilities. See? When is God not absolutely altruistic? So the concept comes in as above, so below, which means, <coughs> what about you? <laughs> 
<laughs> or what about us? So this this journey uh, of yoga can be uh, uh, seen also. Another another context of it is 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 a journey into and through altruism. You know. You know, if we've been singing me, 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 all of our lives, and heaven is the opposite, you know, this infinite, gracious generosity, me's not working too well. <laughs> it's not getting you too far. Not, it, it may get you somewhere in this finite little pinprick of a planet. <laughs> But if you think about the infinite cosmos, this little tiny pinprick is nothing. It's a joke. That's where heaven wants to bestow on you the cosmos, and you're still holding on to this rock. <laughs> well, you know, why do we hold on to the rock? Because two things. The primary thing is ignorance. That's the primary cause. But if you move further into this, the psychological dynamics of it, we have a sense of scarce, scarcity. Like, whoops, there may not be enough. So, you know, I'm going to sing my own song, my me, me, me song, you know, to get what I can, just in case something goes south. <laughs> so, you know, so the question is, how do you become have a more enlightened mind, breaking the ignorance, and and and, and how do you sort of uh, uh, break uh, the concept of scarcity, which we all have. We all have some scarcity. You know, these are hidden fears that affect us daily, but until we, you know, call them out and address them, and and solve whether they're real or not, um, we live under its influence. And we don't even know it. We have no idea. So, these are various concepts I'm throwing out that, that are important for you to, to, to hold on to when you're doing these, these types of analysis. You can think of the concept of a just universe. I'm not saying that you understand the universe, but just have the concept that the universe is somehow just. Like someone will say immediately, ah, oh, why is there war such a tragedy? Well, I don't know why there was a war and why there was such a tragedy. But beyond that war, that war was a finite event. And we're talking about the infinite flooding the finite, see? So in, this, in the stance of infinity, there is a reason for that war. See? There is a reason. It's just that at this time, you and I don't have the facility, the, grand, the grandeur of that level of mind, to understand why that event occurred. But you, you, by, by the law of karma, you have to know that something comes from something. If it happened, it had a cause. If it happened, it had a cause. See? Whether we see the cause or not is another issue. But just from a philosophical point of view, we should say we live in a just universe. From that, that infinite loving God, there is a justice. 
So, regardless of the whether there's prosperity or scarcity or pleasant things or unpleasant things, no matter what, realize that the scales are going to balance. See, whether whether you see it now is not important, but the scales will definitely balance. Not that anyone, per se, is punished, but sometimes people have to go through a fiery enlightenment. <laughs> so let's say you've done some really bad misdeeds, some, some fellow has done some very bad misdeeds. That, that misdeed was based on ignorance, see? Uh, sometimes a person can be, be lovingly brought out of ignorance, other times fierily <laughs> brought out of ignorance, see? So, if you oppress someone and put suffering on them, maybe some form of suffering, a ruth, like why does a ruthless disease come out of nowhere and afflict the person sometimes? Sometimes, not all the time, just sometimes. It's the scales balancing. By that, by that individual at that particular time going through a very difficult suffering, they understand the difficulty of suffering, and then in their future will no longer inflict such a suffering on another because it's become personal. It's not objectified as over there. The suffering was over here. <laughs> and once you realize, ah, that was a terrible experience, you don't have any in inclination to put that on another soul or another being, see, or even the earth itself. See? So that's, it's a fiery blessing. It's where karma can be fiery, but it's still a blessing, you know, because it makes you more loving, more kind, more thoughtful, more sensitive. Okay? See, it's a fiery blessing. You know, sometimes they have the mutis or the gurus that hold a flower in one hand and fire in the other. <laughs> and it's like, what do you need? Will you, will you approach the Lord through the grace of the flower? <laughs> or the heat of the fire. <laughs> the gurus don't care. Whatever, whatever way heals you, whatever you need, that's what you're going to get. You know, if you have to be tossed into a fire pit, fine. If you need a flower garden, fine. Either way, it's an expansive experience. So you'll be broadened. And from heaven's perspective, you have infinite births. You have, meaning you have infinite opportunities for fullness. So, it's okay. If you lose one body, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's an interesting concept about that. And these are things that you should mark in your mind. <coughs> the reality that helped you get here is the same reality that will help you leave. See? The reality that helped you get here it's the same reality that's going to help you leave. So don't worry about death too much. You got here smiling. You did okay getting here. That which brought you in is gently going to take you out. Okay? So don't sweat it. If it was kind here, it'll be kind there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's our minds that cause the problem. It's our minds. We impose fear. We impose terror. We impose loss on a loving event that happened there, that's going to happen here. The, the, the same guardians that take you through these doors 
they had good character over here. Same guys over there. See? So don't sweat these things. See? The same reality that brought you in is the same reality that's going to take you out. So cool out. <laughs> don't be afraid. Don't worry about these things. See? It's, it's uh, the bondage of our own unenlightened thoughts that cause, our, cause us to fear. It's our own thoughts that cause us to fear. See? Our own lack of self-reflectiveness causes us to fear. See? So you should write down these concepts of a just universe and all these other things. Because it's, it's, in, it's important. It'll, it'll help you long-term in your studies. Long-term in your studies. See? These, these ideas will percolate through your mind for decades. You know? Because first it's just a nice thought. Later on it becomes a reality. As you continue your yogic practices, you'll see how that little seed thought is a, is a, is a, or a absolutely uh, correct statement. So you'll have greater and greater confidence as you grow. With this idea of altruism and yoga, when people think of yoga, they think of, you know, uh, infinite uh, practices, and there are infinite amount of yogic practices, many, many meditations and mantras and prayers. Is there any limit to prayers? No. Infinite. <laughs> you know, is there any limit to mantras? No. If, if God itself is um, infinite potential, for every one of those potentials is a mantra. <laughs> See? <laughs> But we, we have to, uh, because we're all primarily householders here, we have to find ways of uh, making this expansion. And that's what uh, altruism is. Altruism is a psychic expansion. You know, each, you're expanding into what you really, really, really are. You know, not what you think you are, what you really are. So we have to find uh, uh, multiple ways uh, where we can condition our, our psyche to be more benevolent, to be more open, to be more giving. This is all pure yoga. As, as regular human beings, <clears throat> we learned all of these survival strategies as human beings to get through the world the world, this world, but we don't create a whole bunch of strategies to get to the kingdom <laughs> by Kunta, you know, the reality. Yoga is a system that, that um, gives you the methodology and the strategies and the philosophy and the psychology of embracing all of heaven, becoming at one with an infinite benevolent condition. So we're very practiced in worldly skills, not so much in spiritual skills. <laughs> you know, we're all good people, but there's a science. There's a science. And you have to pour as much of the divine science into your psyche because you're pouring a ton of common science in, you know, worldly science in, worldly perception in. 
So this is where prayer is like very, very important. And we're just going to talk about that for a little bit. There's many signs. But there's two things, P and P. Pause and pray. <laughs> because we're all rushing, rushing, rushing. That's our life now. And it's getting more and more of rushing. Where we have to uh, build in pauses in our life and then some positive, uplifting, useful, altruistic concept or statement or prayer should be made. So we all have front doors. You know, these are like the tools of the, tr the tricks and the tools of the trade. Um, on your door you should have a small prayer written. And whatever, whatever image of God that uh, inspires you, like put it on your, your door, in your door jam. You know, in, in the Jewish tradition, they have the Masuzalah. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it has a, the, uh, a little Torah in it. It's the guide for the, the Hebrew nation. And, and, and inspiration for their enlightenment. The same thing should be applied for everyone, where some image that inspires you, some aspect of God that inspires you, whether it's a god, a god or a goddess, or a guru, a favorite saint, and a small prayer, put it on a door jam, and then say, okay, for the next 40 days, I'm going to work on getting the habit of pausing before I run out the door, <laughs> you know? Uh, so. That alone, setting that intention to, to, and it doesn't have to be long, it just could be a, a short, concise prayer. Um, just the fact that you'll pause say a prayer of goodwill and intention, that is opening your heart. That is slowing you down. That is changing the context of your day. Because normally, we're thinking about work, and we're out the door, and we're running. And we don't <laughs> stop running until the end of the day, and we collapse at home, you know. So this setting of intention is, is super important. This uh, slowing down and pausing is again super, super, super important. Okay, come in and sit down. Hey, Rama, hey, Rama. But yoga is, is about building a body of habits and a body of skills. Hey, Rama, Rama. to set these habits up is saying, okay, I'm going to do it for 40 days, you know. Because think of all of us, we have that habit of running through the door, you know. But let's say we stop and pause and set our intention, a prayerful intention for the day so that we create a new context in which we're going to
go into the day. Because when we, when we pass through our threshold, we're going out to the outer world. Our home is sort of our sanctuary world. But the outer world is, you know, everything is there. It's a cacophony of activity. You know, some pleasant, some unpleasant, some neutral. So, by stopping and saying a, a, a prayer of goodwill, this, uh, an altruistic expansion. And then by doing it for 40 days, what the 40 days is, is to, is, is to set the habit, to create the habit of goodwill. It shouldn't stop at 40 days, but you have to minimally practice for 40 days minimum, you know. Because that's a laboratory time. It, it makes you self-reflective to, to see how much you've been rushing and why you're rushing. And was it really all that important? You have the time to evaluate your behavior, evaluate your actions, see. And then to, time to be reflective to say, has this changed my heart in the course of 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, 40 days? See, that pause is a pause of reflection to, to see where you are and to see what you're building, see? Yogis don't, they're not like um, born good. They're made good. <laughs> they, they've built themselves. They didn't just, they weren't just born that way. They, they, they had an intention and then they developed that intention. See? And then that intention became a habit. So they're smiling a lot. They'll say kind words. You know, they'll think about God a lot. That was all habit, you know. They built those habits. They weren't born that way. They, they built that habit of, of uh, altruism, of sort of an expansive uh, kindness, you know, a thoughtfulness for the welfare of others. You know. by, that, by that constant uh, pause and prayer, you're building the habit of not thinking about yourself about thinking about the welfare of other people. Because otherwise, unconsciously, we're thinking about ourselves. Pretty much 24-7, we're asking, how am I doing? <laughs> whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's mentally, you know, whether it's socially, we're basically thinking, how am I doing? <laughs> That's a big habit. See? It's okay, but it's going to keep your feet very firmly rooted to the earth and not in the expansive reality. See? And you, you have to remember, we're all <coughs> evolutionary beings. We're not supposed to be static stones. You know, we're supposed to evolve. And you have to also understand that your humanness is just one phase of your evolution. It's not the whole ball of wax. It's just one stage of evolution. I mean, we're not you know, dragging our knuckles on the ground as Neanderthals walking around. We're not that. We evolved beyond that. You know, we're not, you know, four-legged creatures running around. We've evolved beyond that. So why do you think that this is it? <laughs> See? This is it for the moment. <laughs> and a moment is the shortest unit of time. <laughs> See? <laughs> so we have to see the context in which we really live. You know, every, every human being 
is a sleeping soul, is a, is a, is a sleeping saint. It's, it's there. Every human being is a sleeping saint. See? We are. That, that immense power, that immense light, immense realization is in us. But it's covered up by layer after layer of different thoughts, my thoughts, my feelings, my experience, my drama, my sorrow. <laughs> oh my God. That's like a very, very, very cloudy day. <laughs> when really, you know, if we can acquire these uh, uh, skills to let the radiant soul uh, manifest, we have this infinite beauty, uh, effulgent light hidden within us. But we're completely unaware of it. Completely unaware of it. It's constantly trying to influence us. You know, even the, as a rudimentary thing as a smile. Why do you smile? That smile came from the soul. It's just a tiny, tiny, tiny spark of the soul. You know, that smile gets bigger and bigger and bigger uh, and more and more intricate in, in life as you slowly develop these yogic practices of pausing and having some benevolent good intention, which means you're thinking of others, whether it's the earth, whether it's the animal kingdom, whether it's the plant kingdom, whether it's the human kingdom. Bit by bit, a growing benevolence has to occur. That benevolence comes about as you have more solar awareness. You have a certain amount of mental awareness but a modest amount of solar awareness. So we want you to pause to acquire some sensitivity and to have a, a positive intention in prayer. And in your watching that positive intention in prayer, you are becoming more aware of the solar, solar eminence that's in you. You're creating a channel for it to come out. See? Normally it comes out in all kinds of vicarious ways. It's got to go past all of your nonsense to get out and give a, an honest smile so you're an honest act. It's got really a route to go. You know, it's like going through all these minefields. But if you, you, if you sincerely say a prayer of, of goodwill, you're creating a channel in which that solar impulse can arise and flow and it'll get deeper and broader through time. Practice, 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 practice. See? It's you. It, it's in you. That, that joy, that light, that uh, altruism is joyous. It, it's happy. Uh, felicidad. You know, happiness is there. Who doesn't want that? See? We all want that. But you have to make that investment. You have to make that investment. And that investment comes from a simple pause. And you tie the pause to things that you do all the time. You walk through that door every day. <laughs> so, have some, some image there that evokes the sense of God. And then tie a prayer to that. A prayer of goodwill. 
And it's not only going out the door, it's coming in the door. You know? You know, both ways, say the prayer. You know? Because coming in, there's the family. And if there's not the family, you're there. <laughs> so, you got to pray for yourself. You know, sometimes people think, oh, I'll just pray out there. No, pray this way too. We all need help. Don't think we don't need help, we need help. So, you know, there's, there's no spot in this infinite reality that shouldn't be prayed for. So pray in all directions. Be an omnidirectional prayer. Okay? Don't limit it. So, we learn to find one situation, which, which is, let's say, our door, to tag a prayer to. And then, so that's the first habit you get. And then later on, the next step is to, every, every soul that you interact with, you have to learn how to be a little bit neutral, because some people you like, some people you sort of like, some people you don't like, you know? We have all these you know, le levels of likeness. But, you know, it's again, as above, so below. <laughs> Heaven blesses us all. The rain comes for us all. The air comes from us all. You know, the breath comes in and out for us all. So, we have to, we have to, because that's what God is doing there, and that's what God is doing deep, deep, deep here, we have to make that, that same reality come out through our personality, through our emotions, and through our psyche. See? So, we all deal with various people. And sometimes, like this gentleman, he has a little notebook. Sometimes I'll carry around the notebook. And uh, I'll make sure that I, I note every person I've talked to. Sometimes I do it mentally. Sometimes I write it down. The clerk, the bus driver, you know, mailman. And then just, I'll take a moment. Sometimes right in, on the spot, or sometimes at the end of the day, I'll sit quietly and review every single person I had some interaction with. And I'll say a prayer for each person go through each person. And it's good for memory training. It helps you. It helps your mind. You know. So can you see the kind of person that you're developing, the kind of person that you're becoming? If you actually take the time, you pause again and review your day and say, whom did I come in contact with today? May they be well. May good things happen. May God bless them. And move on to the next. See? Just, just again, that good intention, that goodwill. See? See, you're becoming more what you really, really, really are. You're not becoming what you constructed yourself, you know, through your analysis and through circumstance. See, so now you're learning some of the real inner yoga. Sometimes. So we, we think, that's okay, that's okay. You just stroke his head and he'll be fine. <laughs> so now you're starting to sort of learn some of the uh, practical details of real yoga. Because a lot of times you think, oh, yoga, I have to do this rigorous practice up in the mountains, or I have to stand on my head, or I have to, you know, press my nostril this way and breathe that way, you know. 
No. Is all that stuff useful? Yeah. But it, the real yoga is what you do day to day. You know, it's not the exceptional thing you do, like standing on your head. It's it's the the culture that you develop. It's the inner culture that you develop. And I'm telling you an absolute fact. The inner culture that you develop is is really the platform or the deep ground where all the mysticism happens. Which all the mysticism happens because of this platform that you that you develop. You know, it really, really is. So by saying a prayer, pausing at your door and saying a prayer of good intention, and then the habit of cataloging everybody that you've had contact with. Because it's sort of interesting. Think of it this way. God put that person in my life today. And then God will put other people in some other day. It's, not, it's never going to be absolutely the same. There's always going to be a, some kind of variant. So the question is, why? Why? And for the yogas, it just means one more opportunity to stimulate the energy of the soul to become manifest in your life. See? So every person is a positive opportunity to manifest the energy of the soul, to release a spark of the energy of the soul. See? Every person that you meet. See? So that when you start to do all of these other things, all the pranayams and the hatha yoga and the high mantras, this platform of goodwill, good intention, of kindness, is there. See? So there's, there's a tremendous foundation to build on. A lot of times people try all these different practices and exotic practices, but they have no foundation. You know? So they're like personally a lousy human being, not, not judging them, but their actions are lousy. And then they're doing these exotic yogic practices. Now, how good is that? How far are you going to get with that? You know, it's like jumping in a, a rowboat and the oars are broken. Well, how far are you going to get with that? You know, you're going to drift a whole lot. You know, you're going to talk about the water. I was in the boat. But you're not, <laughs> not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. You didn't have the right tools. You know, you had proximity, but no... Nothing of, nothing of substance was there. See? So, by, by getting that, um, that uh, habit of uh, praying for the people that come into your life, praying coming in and out your door, um, you have a real foundation. Um, because what, uh, uh, the yoga books, they can't tell you what the teachers can tell you. This whole practice of yoga is a, a practice of a type of ecstatic intimacy, ecstatic intimacy that you develop with God. See? It's not a dull intimacy, it's ecstatic. See? It's visceral. You know, you're seized by God. You're caressed by God. And, and these words I'm using very, very carefully because these are the experiences that you'll have. But it, it, it comes from being able to have a platform which 
is stable, kind, loving, generous, then you've given God something to work with. See? There's, there's a platform there. There's a, there's a sensitivity there. If, if you live just like a regular human being, with hard thoughts and hard emotions, and uh, your mind and your emotions are constantly tumbling, when heaven visits, how are you going to notice? You're so noisy. You're so vi busy. How are you going to notice the guest at the door? You won't. Because you're so self-involved with your noise and your drama. It's not that heaven doesn't knock. It's not that heaven doesn't visit. It's that you never notice because you're preoccupied with your own noisy, noisy, stormy self. See? So, people say, oh, maybe there's not a God. Well, maybe your head is too noisy. See? You, you'll know whether there's a God or not. Cool out. Calm down. You know, be kind. You'll see for yourself. Heaven will show up in the most remarkable circumstances <laughs> when you least expect it. That presence will become manifest. See? It'll be, it'll be manifest in the ultra-subtle and the ultra-grand. See? See? Like a caress of a breeze or the roar of an ocean. Heaven will manifest in everything in between. But it's, it's by that uh, learning of to have a divine reliance. Just saying, there is a God. I'll rely on Him. The nature of God is loving and kind, expansive and giving. What about me? <laughs> you know? The apple shouldn't fall too far from the tree. <laughs> we just don't think of ourselves that way. We think of God as that and me as me. But if something comes from something, and that's the root something, what's this supposed to be? See? We have this uh, creativity where we think, I want to do things my way. That's the egoic creativity. Now there's a greater creativity. In the beginning, we all chanted Om. So I'll say two things about Om. One thing is, Om means all this is God. That's one definition. It's, it has many, many. Another thing with Om is Om is, is the infinite divine creativity. Creativity is inherent in life. It's inherent in life. But that's the cosmic creativity. So you're not supposed to stay as your own nutshell of creation. You're supposed to expand into the cosmos. That's why you're chanting Om. Every, t every time you, you're chanting Om, you're, you're coming into self-knowledge. In the beginning, we're sort of very dull. So we say Om. Okay, we're good to go. But later on, as you chant Om, and then the vibration is, is seeping into you and filling you, and as you chant Om, each cell will become charged 
because you're building up a huge charge as you chant Om. We don't realize it in the beginning, but Om is charging your psychic battery. And then as your battery gets more full, because our charge as human beings is pretty small, but the mantras, they charge the body. And then as, as you start to chant Om, you'll feel the various plexuses of the body. And it, just like this, it'll flutter. The various plexuses, what we, people call them chakras, or you'll, you'll feel them fluttering. You know. And then, as you continue your concentration and continue your chanting of this divine, intelligent, creative force, Om, then these various plexuses will start to release their divine charge, the divine knowledge, divine knowing. See, so all kinds of abilities happen, all kinds of cities acquire, you know. It happens quite naturally. It's simply because you have enough charge to, to have them manifest. Before, you're working with such a tiny little, uh, tiny battery, human battery, that they're sitting semi-functional, semi-dormant. They're not fully manifest, fully active, see. Not their full potentiality. So as you're chanting, you, you have this kind of expansion. And then as you have these types of expansions, your sense of reality changes. What's real and what's not real. What's possible and what's not possible. And your sense of self-identity changes. See, Before you were thinking you were this little tiny puny human being. And as you, as you chant these things, divine mantras and Om in particular, you, or any of the any of the moksha mantras, you will you'll start to see what heaven has intended for you, what your evolutionary journey is, and in that evolutionary journey, what is your disposition? So, if you look at a Buddha or a Jesus Christ or a Krishna, what was their disposition? That's your future. That's your future. See? Why was Arjuna so close to Sri Krishna and Krishna guiding him each step of the way? Sri Krishna was guiding him into his evolution, into his fullness, into his divine effulgence. See? That, that Arjuna one day has to enter into the body of Sri Krishna. See? has to merge. See? So why, as people develop greater sanctity, greater insight into the yoga knowledge, they, their heads come like this. Their hands come over in the pranam and their heads are bowed. Why are all the saints' heads bowed? See? Because they see that gracious wonder. You know? And all, all you can do is in humility bow before that splendid beauty. See? We all enter into that reality. See? The Sri Krishnas, the Jesus Christ, the Buddhas are there as gateways to ourself, gateways to our own expansion. Don't think of them as other. Think of them as my future me. <laughs> it's your future self. It's what you're going to grow into. It's what you are destined to become. Don't think of them as others. They're just further down the road, but you're on the same road, you know. They're a guide into your own 
effulgent self. See? So if Jesus was gracious and giving, what about us? <laughs> Jesus was a template. Buddha is a template. These are models of humanity. Sri Krishna is a template. These are models of humanity. These are models of what we are to be. These are models of what's hidden within us. The seed reality within us is Jesus, is Buddha, is Krishna. See? That's the seed reality within us. We have to release it. See? So we learn these practices of pausing and prayers of good intention so that what we are can manifest. So what we are can manifest. And we, we have to practice uh, creating opportunities and giving avenues of divine expression. Because we're giving avenues of egoic expression every day. You know, of, of the world. Exercises of the world. But that's where we are now. That's not where we're supposed to live and die. You know? <laughs> We're supposed to evolve, you know. The, the, the yogis talk about a dog chasing its tail. It might have a grand old time, but it's not getting anywhere. You ever see a dog chase its tail? <laughs> it's, it's having, you know, it's trying to catch it. It's barking. You, you can see it's sort of a joyous event. <laughs> but it's getting absolutely nowhere, you know. So it's sort of meaningless. So you don't want to be a dog chasing your tail. Worldliness, 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 worldliness. So what? So what? You know? But if you say, if the Jesus there is the Jesus here, the Buddha there is the Buddha there, here, the Krishna there is the Krishna here, now you're, you're really on the road to some real self-evolution. When you realize... Those grand mystic realities is the hidden revelation in our own heart. See? Now the question is how to re release the revelation. See? And then all these yogic sciences are there. So after, the, after we start to practice the prayer and have all kinds of good intentions, then we start to charge our battery with mantra. See? One way of thinking of mantra, man, mind, tra, that which takes us beyond. See, the, the mind itself is just a sort of a nutshell, a very powerful nutshell, but it's just a nutshell. What about all the cosmos of the kingdom? See, mantra takes you beyond this limitation. Mind is still limited. Though it's vast, it's still limited. What about the reality of God? It's infinite, intelligent, beneficent beingness. See, so the mantras let's say moksha mantra, liberation mantras, take us beyond the mind, see, to our, our fullest effulgence, our fullest self, our fullest reality. So whether it's Gayatri or Om Namah Shivaya or any, any of these great, you know, moksha mantras, Om Shinamaji, Namaji, you know, these are all moksha mantras. They, in the beginning you'll think, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying the Guruji said, say this, so okay, but I don't understand it. So, again, take your intellect with you all the way. Go study. You know, if they say Om Sri Rama, what was Sri Rama? Okay, then that means read Ramayana, and then think about it, and then ask 10,000 questions. See, or Gayatri. Oh, Gayatri, 
God is mother, Savitri. What is God is mother? What is that? There's many texts that talk about divine mother. See? So, study. You know, and ask questions. See? That's the first step. That will satisfy your intellectual. And then say, okay, I'm intellectually understanding, but I want to know the mysticism. To know the mysticism, it means you have to spend time with that Sri Rama or that Gayatri, okay, Devi Mata. And how you do that? You start to say the mantra. Om Bhuvaswaha Om Tat Savitovadanyam Bargo Devasyadimahi Tiyo Yonaha Prachodayat In the beginning you're very dull. But as you keep saying the mantra over and over and over again, then you become more porous. And then the nature of the vibration, you start to experience the nature of the vibration. See? As you start to experience the nature of the vibration through time, then all forms of revelation start to occur within you. All forms of psychic, spiritual expansion occur. And as you're chanting that mantra, Om Shri Dhamma Jai Dhamma Jai Jai Dhamma, Om Shri Dhamma Jai Dhamma Jai Jai Dhamma, Om Shri Dhamma Jai Dhamma, over and over and over, by you associating with that mantra, you're associating with the energy of that mantra, and you're building your own internal psychic charge based on the nature of the mantra. See, that, that mantra has a nature, a quality, and effect. It's, it's channeling in a tremendous amount of spiritual force. You're, you're building up your spiritual battery. See, what you don't understand is although all these people, everybody here is very intelligent human beings, you're using a small charge. You've got this big brain, but you're only using a really small charge of that brain. So you're not getting very much of what you have the potential. To, to get a grander potential, a fuller potential, you have to chant these mantras. Well, you don't have to, but it's a very effective means. It's a very effective means. See? Those, these mantras were realized by the saints, the sages, the rishis of the past, and they were brought to humanity as a gift. See? A gift of self-knowledge. See? So, you'll understand more and more the reality and nature of God, and you're building a tremendous psychic charge. Your, your, your psychic capacity is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Huge, huge, huge. <coughs> By that constant repetition of the mantra. Sometimes many people fall away from the practice of mantra um, because no one explains to them what's going on, that, that you're building a charge. And that in the beginning, you're not that sensitive, you know, but it's over time that you become more porous and you absorb the energy of the mantra. In the beginning, we're like a dull stone, but later on, we'll become very porous and draw the knowledge in. See, it just takes time. You just have to be very patient. Take time. But think about it. Think about this. You're investing in yourself and it's sanctioned by the saints. So you're good to go. <laughs> See? It's not like some guy, some common human being made up a bunch of words. This is done by, these are done by the agents of God itself. So you, you trust it. Trust the saints. Trust the masters. See? Trust the great scriptures. This is all sanctioned by the kingdom itself. So you're good to go. Rely on it. You know, 
rely on it with your life. Don't. It is. You know, there's no debate. It is. <laughs> so yes, so yeah. Uju, can you talk about uh, um, how altruism is related to compassion? Like, oh sure. There's no difference. Okay. Compassion <laughs> and altruism are the same thing. <clears throat> compassion is enlightened action. Altruism is enlightened action. Enlightened with what? Enlightened with the presence of the kingdom. See? You had a question back there, Hamas. I'm sorry. Forget. Oh, you forgot? <laughs> I forget. What was, what was it? We were speaking about something. Maybe it was about um, being perceived. You know, you have this good heart and you're always happy, but, you know, some people may tell you, well, that's just a sign of weakness, you know, because. Mm. People are going to take advantage of you if you have such a good heart and you walk around smiling all the time. Um, but I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. This is really important. Trust the saints. Trust the scriptures. Everybody else, not so much. <laughs> They're well-intended, but ignorant. It's, you know, they have... You know, your mother, your brother, your sister, your friend, they're well-intended. But do they have the authority of the kingdom? I don't think so. You know? So look at the scriptures, look at the saints, follow their advice. You know, they're the masters of the universe. <laughs> See, everybody else, well-intended, but their guidance is not so good. They themselves are having a whole lot of trouble. So how the, if they're standing in a swamp, how are they going to get you out? <laughs> they themselves are sinking, you know. So, you know, with, with the, this kind of kindness, it's not that you don't realize uh, good, bad, evil. You see, you see the world for what it is. But the world should not trump your heart, see. The reality of your good heart, your loving heart, your kind heart, your more enlightened heart, that's a light in the world. See? The deeper the ego, the deeper the darkness. The only way those souls can find their way out of their ignorance and their darkness is by souls that are expressing their enlightened heart. See? So, you're a lamp, you know in a forest, see? So, <coughs> that's how it is. That's what the yogis are. That's what all people of good intention are. They're a light in a forest, see? You can find your way. No lamp, you wander around a forest of humanity, forest of worldliness. Unfortunate. You know, Think of all the psychiatric, like people have great money and great wealth and privilege and name and fame. They're all at these rehab centers. <laughs> They're all drug problems, marriage problems, alcohol problems, you know, suicides. They can have everything. What does it mean? They didn't invest in their own heart. They didn't invest in their own kindness. They didn't invest in their own humanity. They invested in all these worldly things. You know, and all I got them is to Betty Ford's, you know, therapy center. You know, one of these, you know, rehab centers. You have to invest in your own sacred heart. 
and find the best advice available, which is always the saints and always the scriptures. You know, the, the, the psychologists, and I know many, and they're very nice, but many quietly are nutcases themselves. <laughs> they're plagued with problems. They're plagued with problems. You know, the philosophers don't know. They like coffee and to talk. So let's talk about this, talk about that. They don't know. <laughs> They're just speculating. They have no science of knowing. They're just profoundly wondering out loud over latte. <laughs> you know? So we call them like armchair yogis. <laughs> Very wide derrieres. <laughs> but uh, no functional knowledge. Well intended. They don't know. <laughs> yes, Sylvia. So, Guruji, I think in relation to um, what she's saying, um, I think we're in a culture that doesn't support um, altruism necessarily. It's a very me-first society. Yeah. So, um, what suggestions do you have to, you know, keep us uh, reminded of the bigger picture and to, you know, skillfully navigate this? Well, because there are certain realities that sure. we need to be able to survive in this culture, this society. Yeah, there's um, there's uh, several. There's not, there's not one answer. There's many things that there's many strategies that you have to do. Um, one is to fortify yourself daily by reading scripture every day, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita or the Dhammapada. I like the Dhammapada in particular because it's so small; you can easily carry it around. You just and you can read a chapter and three minutes, but it reminds you of the truth, of a reality. So that's that's one thing. The other thing um, that yogis do is most of what we do, we, we do in secret. You know, so we're, you know, uh, pleasant people, civil to people, but most of what the yogi does, we don't tell everybody about it, because you just make yourself a target. <laughs> You know, you don't need the headache, you know. So you do, you do your good quietly, you know. You do it quietly. You don't make a show of it, you know. I'll tell you the fact. Most mystics and saints are completely unrecognized because they're doing the work of the kingdom for the kingdom, quietly. Mm. See? They're not putting on a big show. They're not peacocks. You know, they're quiet laborers of God. See? And that's a really smart strategy. Don't make yourself a target, because the world will take a shot. <laughs> that's the world we live in. You have to be real about it. So you do, you do all of your charity work, do your prayers, do your scriptural reading, do your silent reflection quietly. Don't make yourself a target. Because the moment you do all that stuff, you're other. Because most people are not doing that stuff. They're not doing it. So all of a sudden, if this is part of your culture, you become the other by the, the unenlightened or less, less enlightened. It's, it only opens you up to being poked more and more. So there's no reason to open yourself up for that. So quietly, the relationship you have is between you and the kingdom, you and God, see? You're, you're working out your evolution. Now who's going to understand that? That's like the highest physics of your life. Now, who else is going to understand that? See? 
all the intimate details of your personal life in communion with God. That's a unique experience between you and the reality. It has nothing to do with any other human being on the planet. See? And then, based on that, based on that relationship, uh, you plot your unique journey to God. And every soul will have a unique journey to God. See? And that's why I say it's very intimate. It's your relationship. It's like your marriage. It's not any other marriage. It's your marriage. It's your marriage to the kingdom. See? So, even with a human personal relationship, do you take your business out to the public? Not if you have any good sense. Your, your intimate relationship with God should be quiet, stay here, quietly. See? Your quiet, growing revelation. See? And it really is intimate. You know, people think of God as something far. That's really foolish. That's really, don't, they, that means they don't know anything. They don't know anything. It doesn't mean they're not good. They're good. But they don't know anything. Because once you start to quietly sit, say the prayers, do the meditations, learn to keep the mind silent, that silence is learning how to quietly stand in the presence of the reality. It means in that silence of meditation, you are stopping your process of creation, your personal process of creation, and then allowing yourself to become aware of the creation. See? The creation. And in that, you will learn your relationship, your personal intimate relationship to the creation by stopping your personal creation. See? That's why all the saints meditate. All the saints enter silence. In the silence is infinite expansion. Infinite expansion is in the silence. That's, you have that potential, that possibility, if you be quiet, if, if you stop your personal creation, your, your stuff, your dramas, your perception, you know, the way you think things should be. There's the way things are, and the way you think they should be. <laughs> the yogi wants to know how things are. See? And as you gather that knowledge of how things are, you see that benevolent reflection in the reality. This infinite love, infinite power, infinite potentiality is there. Then, as you see it there, your own being your own heart, your own psyche, must become a reflection of what you're experiencing. See? Jesus is a reflection of the reality. Gautama Buddha is a reflection of the reality. Sri Krishna is the reality. See? All enlightened action. Enlightened action. See? Pure, benevolent, effulgent. That's the reality. But it's only... When you can become quiet, does, do you acquire a, a psychic clarity to see your greater nature, and then your greater nature is manifest through the limited vessel. See? So all of your energies, all of your pranas, all of your psyche becomes absorbed in that reality and then manifest here. See? We're all ultimately becoming conduits 
of that infinite loving energy and then making it manifest. What we, what we learn on humility, we're, our heads are always bowed. It's not like I want to manifest God my way. My way, ego. <laughs> you just run into a ditch. You're, you're humble before God and you say, God, whatever you want. Your will, your way. See? Your will, your way. Use me. Your will, your way. Use me. And then you do the work. As per, as per the God. Mm. So, um, Koji, um, so I've been cultivating more of a practice of mantra every morning and feel this bliss and the joy and everything you're talking about run through my body and I lose it the minute I have to engage in some sort of contentious discussion at work or working with a lot of men that have a you know particular perspective and having to give my point out there in a certain aggressive way. How how do we take that? Well you don't have to be aggressive. You can be strong. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to be aggressive. <laughs> aggressive comes from the word aggression. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I you lose can be, it there. That's you, where I lose it. You can be strong like steel. You know? Yeah. You know, uh, that um, that's actually a, a longer and, and deeper uh, conversation. Yeah. Um, everyone has to, we'll only touch upon the conversation. Everyone has to uh, develop a psychic mandala. And, and this is actually sort of important, but it, it, it's, a, it's a longer discussion. It, it, it in itself is multiple hour discussion. But um, there's an exercise uh, that one must go through to, de to develop uh, this type of mandala. Uh, it becomes a, a tool and a shield that we utilize in the world. It, uh, it's a, it becomes a reflection of your, your deepest uh, spiritual disposition. Um, and there's, there's several ways of getting at it. Uh, you can ask yourself a series of questions like... Um, If you think about the person who's loved you the most in life, um, what was the energy, energy that they were sharing with you? So you write that down. And then you say, who is the person who's inspired me the most? You know, and what was that energy? What was it? What was the energy there? And then who is the person who gave me the greatest sense of physical, emotional comfort, and what was the energy there? See, you have to write these things out. You have to ask yourself these questions. So as you start to isolate these individuals, because those are solar teachers, you know, the energy of their soul was coming forth to bless you and to enlighten you and to guide you. Then you have to take those principles and say. I don't care what's going on in the world. I'm going to apply these principles. But you know what's useful about that? You have the touchstone of the memory of these different people. So there's a type of personal confidence. Mm. 
and you take that energy and say, this is how I'm going to chart my course. This is how I'm going to deal with the world using these energies. See? It's sort of like uh, an icebreaker, those big ships that cut through the ice. The world is a headache. The world is, is a lot of baloney. You've got to cut through it. You've got to break through it. You have to have that power, that force to move through this world. You know, people who are just, you know, cowering or abused in this world. You know, you saw no lack of strength with Krishna. Krishna. You saw no lack of strength with Jesus. You saw no lack of strength with Buddha. They had tremendous strength, tremendous courage, tremendous will. See? So, what about you? You can utilize, you can utilize all of those all of that force, all of that willpower, but it's guided by your own intimate benevolent experiences. See? Your own intimate benevolent experiences. And you can use it with the, the willpower of a Sri Krishna. See? See? Or the courage of a, a Jesus Christ. See? So that's, that forms a type of internal mandala that becomes your, your method of power in the world. But your method of power in the world is benevolent. <laughs> See, it's benevolent. You know, was Jesus powerful? Was Buddha powerful? Was Krishna powerful? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it was guided by benevolence. See, enlightened mind. See, it was this, the manifestation of the solar impulse in the world, not the intellectual impulse, the mental impulse. The solar impulse. See, so just by bringing these things out, you have to. It makes us think because most of the time we're thinking, "I'm a physical expression. I'm an emotional expression. I'm a mental expression." No one told you to think about your solar expression. See, everyone told you how to do all the other things, but no one told you about your solar expression, which is the seed, the seed reality, the deeper reality. It's there. You have a mind. Can you see it? No. Is it there? Yes. You have a soul. Can you see it? No. Is it there? Yes. Yes. It's there. Every saint declares it. Every saint declares it. So it's there. But it's that facility unutilized. See? It's pressing to try to manifest, to fulfill your evolution. But because I am a physical being, I'm an emotional being, I'm a psychic being, it's, it's all these layers of your stuff. See? As opposed to saying, well, how can the energy of the soul manifest through my body? See, ask that question and come up with a creative solution. Well, you can say kind words to people. You can caress the children and play with them. You can hug them. That's a physical expression of the soul. See, you have to find avenues. You know, how can I have this solar expression manifest through my emotions? See? You can be warm. You can be kind. You can be considerate. See? And, and realize this is an emanation of the soul. See? This is the greater you. Not the common you. The greater you. See? So you have to try to find, for every vessel that you have, whether it's a physical, emotional, mental, you have to find a, a means of expansion. See? You know, a common... Behavior is, okay, I'm going to have as much cake and ice cream for my own personal pleasure. 
Is it bad? It's not bad, but it's not enlightened. And if that's the only expression, you know, feeding your face with your cake and ice cream and not hugging a child, see, or saying a kind word to a child, then you're out of balance. Then you're sort of broken because it's just the song of me, see. Me gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You land up in therapy. And too much me, you land up in therapy. Yes, miss. So you spoke about um, um, pausing yes. and taking the time to reflect so that you can... Positive intention. Prayerful positive intention. And then cataloging those interactions that you have with, with people. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your, your reflective process and then more importantly, how do you... Once you reflect and you have that, how do you record that for yourself so that you can... No, this is an interesting point she's making. It is, and I'll, I'll say it in two parts. One part is just that positive prayerful intention. If you're physically recording, it's just a way of helping your memory. Later on, you'll be able to remember every individual that you interacted. And our job is not to judge, not to judge anybody. That's none of our business. But God made that person, that being. And God put that being in your, in your life, in your day. So, as a person who's developing their solar awareness, solar evolution, we say a prayer for them. See? But we don't judge them. Now, the next part is we completely forget. Now, why do we completely forget? Because if we don't completely forget, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person. I say so many prayers for so many people. I think I'm something special. That's what happens. So we do good and we forget it. You have to learn the, the habit of forgetfulness. See? That, and that's the truth. You know? Give and forget it. You know? That way, otherwise we're not taking a catalog. I did this and I did that. <laughs> I'm such a good fellow. Or maybe I'll do that and mm, yeah, I think I'm something. See? Be careful. Be very careful. So we pray, forget it. <laughs> we give, forget. See? Because as long as we remember, we're looking back. See? I want you to look forward. Evolution is forward. <laughs> See? We want to look to where we're going. Forget about the past. We don't look at our own wake. You know? Leave that to God and the Guru. Our job is to lean forward, forget about the past. See? Very, that's a really important teaching. Give and forget. Wipe it out of your mind. You can willfully forget. See? There's many things, many, many, many things. I spent ha half my life forgetting. <laughs> so, you know, so this is, these are the, these are, this is sort of the, you're learning the inner yoga here. This stuff is not in books, you know? Most of the people writing books haven't practiced what they're talking about. You know, you have to find real yogis who have done the real work and study their work. Guaranteed, 90% of the books that are written, they're, they're, they're good people dabbling. They're good people dabbling. 
you know. And if I said, okay, there's a really fancy meditation and do this and do that and visualize this and, and do that one, you'd say, oh, <laughs> like, like I'm giving you some golden chest, you know. But that's that means that the spirituality is becoming a commodity, mm. and we're going to sell it to you. I'm going to put a big fat price. No, it's going to be even more special. Mm. You know? <laughs> At the end of that, I'm going to give you an empowerment. Oh my God! Uh, forgive those souls. God bless them. Big problem. Big problem. See, this is a a lifestyle, a divine culture. See, my job is to help you learn the culture of the saints. See? My job is to help you get admissions into a higher order of, of deep understanding. See? Of deep action. See? Of deep revelation. No common human beings can't do that. Because they haven't practiced that stuff. They're not interested in that stuff. See? The yogis are. That's the, that's the milk and honey the bread and butter of the yogi. That's our job. See? And the truth is, the, whether the Dharma teachers, the gurus, the, the teaching yogis, all this kind of stuff, none of them volunteered for the job. None of them did. Not if they're real. They're compelled to. See? Then if, if, if you volunteer, it means a certain amount of pride. I think I should have that post. Yes, I think people should be at my feet. Oh my God. <laughs> They're going down, unfortunate. See? The true teachers are compelled. They're compelled to do the work. See, they're not volunteering at all. But God says, Hey, I've brought you along. What about the rest? You know, you think you can travel this path and not help others? Not lift others? Give light to others? You know, what do you think this path is? See, the gurus always kick you out of the nest. <laughs> you know, we all love being with our masters. It's like the center of the universe. But they say, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know? Look out there. See, see all these souls who are suffering? What are you doing here? Go, go, go. You know? So we keep that mystic union with the, rea with the reality, with our masters and such. But they push you out into the world to lift people, to lift people. See? Otherwise, you'd never leave your master. You never leave the master. They're the center of the universe. The beauty, the power, the everything is with them. You know, and you know it. You know, you know it. You know. It's like if Jesus gave you the biggest hug on the planet, would you want to let go? No. No, you wouldn't. You'd never want to let go. You'd never want to let go. <laughs> But they give you that cosmic hug, and then they go, 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 go do something for God. That's telling how it really is, how it really is, the real deal, you know. So, yes. What is the role of self-love in yogic philosophy? Well, see, now we're using common, uh, we're not using um, yogic terminology, we're using common psychology. And when you say uh, self-love, that's a, um, the regular people, their concept of self-love is um, extremely modest, extremely uh, 
unaware. Because they have no concept of self. Even on a common psychological level, they have no concept of self. You know, they, they just mean, if, if you boil it down, they mean an absence of pain and possibly some pleasure. That's really when you boil it down, what they're looking for, an absence of pain and possibly some pleasure. From a, from a yogic perspective, it's a very different thing, a very different thing. In, in um, yogic insight, you look very deeply into the nature of oneself to get in, an understanding of what you are, but you understand that you're an evolving being, you're not a static being. Like someone says, oh, my name is Mary Sue, I live such and such and such, I have a good husband, I have two children, I'm happy. That's this sense of self. It's a very limited sense of self. Very, very limited. See? It's, it's only informed by common circumstances. See? It's not informed by deeper circumstances. So, Yogi thinks about uh, self-love. In that, from a yogic perspective, there's an inherent security. And then beyond that inherent security is uh, an inherent uh, uh, fearlessness and joy is there. That's always present. It's not volatile. When a, when a regular human being says self-love, that's a very volatile circumstance. That, that, that idea of self-love can change easily with any circumstance, any loss immediately or any insult that comes to them. Oh, you're not nice, your nose is too long, your hips are too big, whatever, you know, you're not bright enough, you know. All of a sudden, they're very unstable. That insult will have a big, big effect on their psyche, see. That's from the, their, their condition of self-love is a very volatile condition. Any insult will make it jitter. That's not true of a yogi. That's not true of a yogi at all. Because of the deep reflection, the yogi has a greatest sense of, of what they are and what they are becoming. And that's, it, it's not volatile. So someone can insult you, you just think, you poor ignorant fool. You don't say that to them. <laughs> but you realize, this, is, this fellow who's saying this insult or doing this unfortunate action is just really ignorant. It's really, really ignorant. So you're not affected by it. You don't receive any insult. Regular people, they have this volatile sense of self-love that by anybody saying anything, all of a sudden it's very, very jittery. So is it really self-love? Is it really... Self-love comes from self-knowing, real self-knowing. They don't know themselves. So how can they truly love themselves? They can't. They have a very temporal very volatile sense of I'm well I have a well-being this moment you know and anybody says anything that well-being can really shake See? there's no self-knowing <clears throat> so how can there be true self-love so from the psychological point of view in, in common psychology 
It's like putting a band-aid on a giant wound. See? The band-aid is far insufficient. But if they concentrate on the band-aid long enough, maybe it's, it'll help. <laughs> Come on. The world is a madhouse. It's not working. It's not working. You know? It's not working. So, there really is, in the common human being context, there is no self-love. Because there is no self-knowledge. See? So, there's a delusion, or an illusion, that's a better way of putting it, an illusion of developing self-love. But it's really an illusion. And going farther, it's really a delusion. See? The delusion is based on lack of insight. See? So there's not, no, no real self-love. Momentary pleasure they have, but not true self-love. Momentary pleasure they have, see? With a hidden wave of, of insecurity. How long is this going to last? Will he love me long enough? Will she love me? You know? Is it secure? No. When you do this, what, what is being uh, revealed when you're sitting for your meditation is greater and greater states of stability, of pervasive stability. See? There's no stability out there. <laughs> as long as... As long as you're feeding completely from your senses, no stability, no stability. When you start to feed from within, and you're making a, an approach to the soul, the closer you get to the greater reality within you, the greater the stability. See, the greater the stability. So there's an effulgent love, effulgent security, see, that, that happens. And as you're involved in this yogic process, you're sharing, 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 sharing. Your whole, your entire life is based on sharing. Your entire life is based on sharing. That's what you, that's what you literally dream about. You dream about it. You know, every bit of your life is based on doing, doing good for others. Helping others to live. And you're planning all the time. You've got 10,000 plans in your heart and your mind. To do this, to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this. No one knows that. No one can see that. But that's really what's going on. You have 10,000 plans of sharing all the time in your heart and mind. And you're quietly executing, executing. Some things can happen very quickly. Some things you're planning 10, 15, 20 years out. See? And some things next second, next moment, next day. See? This is the real yoga. The real yoga. So you, you just get that, that becomes your habit, that becomes your culture, see? So nobody sees that, but that's what's going on. The, the alchemy in real yoga, the alchemy is in your heart. It's hidden within your heart, in your intention, and in your silent actions, see? Nobody sees your prayers, <laughs> see? They don't see that. <laughs> no, they don't see the... And, and they don't yet understand the power of prayer. See, they don't understand. And when a yogi says, I want to do some kind of healing and stuff, both prayer and mantra and profound will, it's all employed. And then that, that channel, that massive energy of God just simply flows to the, to the teacher, see, and goes to wherever it's been guided to. Wherever that teacher put their mind, that's where that blessing flows. That's how come all these blessings and the teachers touches your touches your head, touches your heart, all this kind of stuff, or looks into your eyes, or says a quiet prayer. 
that prayer goes through, that blessing goes through. That it's a dispensation from the kingdom. That energy, the, the Guruji, is just a channel, channel of that. See, and the the teacher, the Dharma teacher, the Guruji, it's not this fleshy coil that you see, this clay pot that you see. He is he or she is not that. When when you're you know getting this culture of bowing to teachers and all this. It's not this coil that you're bowing to, this pot. It's the inner alchemy. It's the alchemy in their heart. It's what God is doing in their heart that you have reverence for. That's what you should be looking at. <laughs> the outer pot is just gives you something more visceral to relate to. But the deeper understanding is the mysticism in the heart. That simply... Their solar impulse is simply closer to the surface. That's all. It's not that we all we don't all share the same energy, the same solar impulse. It's just the teacher. It's closer to the surface. That's all. It's he is he or she is more realized it. See, more involved with it, as where everybody generally people are very unconscious of it. See, that's the difference between teacher and regular people. One is more conscious of it. And, and and not only conscious, but uh, uh, absolute supplicant of that energy, mm. that energy which is the God. See, we don't do anything independently. You know, it's like I'm doing this, I'm this. That's a bunch of rubbish, nonsense. That reality is the effulgent, infinite beauty, infinite power. So who are we? <laughs> simple, simple copper wire. That's it. <laughs> but to eat with you, to sleep with you, to talk with you, you know, to walk with you, you know, to laugh. It, it, it's just a conduit so that you can understand a relationship with God. First, it's easy to do it with the teacher because you're used to dealing this body with that body. But later on, the teacher's job is to have you eat with, sleep, talk, laugh with God. That's their job. That all the things that you do in life with a human being, do it with God. To, to get the sensitivity to have that relationship. See? The teacher is just a, a clay puppet, clay pot, just to help you learn those things, you know. And then take all that, concentrate all that force, and then take it to the reality. Because that's it, that's where it, that's, that's everything. That's everything. See? But in the beginning, you don't know how to talk to God. <laughs> you don't know how to experience God. So the teachers are there to help you, help you have that experience. It, the real teachers to give you the inside yoga, not just all these fancy exotic practices. No. Yoga is a culture. It's a transfer of the culture, the method, and the methods to you. See? A lot of times people just pick up some methods. They have no culture. Come on. Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So you might have the key, but you're really crude. So anyone gonna let you in? I don't think so. Well, so you have to have the key and the refinement. See the culture of the heart and the method. Then all kinds of doors open up. All kinds of opportunities open up. You'll be really surprised what happens, large and small. You know every kind of wacky and divine. Uh, uh, experience you have, you know, some you understand, some you don't understand, but they all happen. 
you know, and you look in the scriptures. What happens is as you, as your heart gets broader and broader, and your intention becomes purer and purer, just heaven shows up everywhere, everywhere, in every kind of circumstance. Sometimes you're by yourself, and heaven's doing some kind of wild, wonderful thing. Sometimes you're in a crowd, and heaven's doing some wild and wonderful thing, and nobody else can see it but you. It becomes a real adventure. But don't, my part of the thing is don't think, oh, this is Harish shtick, Hari's thing. Forget that. Hari is just a representative, you know, told, told to help you find exactly the same thing. You, you, you have the same empowerment. You don't have the know-how, that's all. But you have the same empowerment. You have the same blessing. You just don't have the same know-how. See? So, you, you learn these, these quiet habits of, of positive intention, uh, of, a, of a, a habit of a goodwill towards all. See? And then bit by bit, this method added, this method happened, and then deeper and deeper intimacy, and greater and greater humility, more and more expansive love. You see, like everyone here has had some experience of, of love, some experience of kindness. If you think of those greatest experiences that you've had, and then magnify it by a hundred, then magnify it by a thousand, then magnify it by a million, that's the journey that you're on. That's, that, that's the kind of unbelievable power. This, sometimes I use the word nuclear, and I use it really well, well placed, because that's the kind of power you're, you're talking about. You're, we're all <coughs> divine nuclear plants. We just haven't accessed it. It's there. It's there. But you develop this culture, you develop this methodology, you develop this humility. If you have no humility, well, I get it. Go do something else. You're not ready. You're not fit. See? But some reverence and humility before God, you know, bow your head for God's sakes. It's part of, it's part of getting in, you know, be humble. And then everything is offered. Everything is offered. Oh, any questions, thoughts? <laughs> you have no idea how much is possible. That's the thing. That's what shocks my mind. You have no idea how how much potential you have. You just have to, it has to become your priority, just like many of the people here have got university degrees and all kinds of wonderful things. How much intention did it take to do that? You worked every day to get that. Or raise the family. How much intention did it take to raise that family? Now you have to have that intention for God knowledge. See? The same strength, the same intention that you raised your family or you got that degree. Have the same intention. At least that. And then see what happens. You know, see what happens. I guarantee you, <laughs> you'll have a grand ride. Grand ride. It's possible. But most of humanity is not telling you how possible it is. You know, Hari and people like Hari and those greater souls will tell you. But sure, it's possible. You, know, you can say, if Hari can do it, I can do it. Think like that. Think like that. You know, really. Don't think Hari's special. That's nonsense. Hari was just tenacious. <laughs> he had some good blessing and tenacious. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know, I got next to the saints. I got next to my master. I wouldn't let go. That was it. Letting go was a non-starter. I'm not doing it. 
that's it. So, you know, you're in for a wonderful ride, but you have to pay the price of admission. Pay the price of admission, you know. Whatever energy you put into raising your family, whatever energy you put into to raising your degree, you know, in college and such, university, do at least that. At least that. And then see. Your life becomes an experiment. It's not just life happening to you. See? Your life becomes a grand, grand, grand experiment. See? Of seeing. The key is to see what God is doing. You have the in inherent potential. Someone just has to push you, say, you can do it. You can do it. My job is to be your best cheerleader. That's my job. To be an advisor and a big-time cheerleader. That's my job. You know? Then, all the alchemy will happen quite naturally. Quite naturally, it'll happen by itself. See? Any thoughts, questions, ideas? Okay. So, what we'll do again... No questions? Take a shot. <laughs> okay. Okay, the door is always open. So we'll, we'll uh, sit again for five minutes. Because there's a lot has been said. I hope somebody's taking some notes. <laughs> and, uh, thank you all, all for coming. It's very kind of you. So take a deep breath in. And release the breath. And then sit for just five minutes in silence. You can do it, that's okay.
take a deep breath. <coughs> Release the breath and gently can open your eyes. I'm going to give you a small addendum. Notes on meditation. Because <laughs> it's important. <coughs> so when you're sitting in meditation, for meditation, there's various qualities, that you, or qualities and abilities <coughs> that you must master in order to be successful in meditation. One of, one of those qualities, one of those abilities, I just open, <coughs> is, the, is the quality and power of acceptance. You, you have, and this will help you in life in general, you have to just accept what is it. So when you're sitting in meditation, you have this quiet psychic screen that's there, that's present. There'll be cars going by, there'll be the babies playing, there'll be someone sneezing. Don't judge any of it. Don't judge any of it. Just accept it. <laughs> You'll gather a great patience and a great non-judgmental acceptance. This is super important. If you don't acquire this power of acceptance, you'll be fighting with things in your mind. You'll be judging things in your mind. You'll be, in the moment you start fighting with something or judging something in your mind, you're involved in your own creation. As long as you're involved in your own creation, you won't see the creation. Okay? So learn whatever goes on. I'm going, I'm peaceful, acceptance. And then our job is just to observe the nature of the mind. What is coming, what is going, what's arising, what's falling away. Just observe. Don't judge anything again. Just see. Just your your job is to be present, alert, and present. See? You're not judging anything. You're just seeing what's going on, basically. See? And in the beginning, in this sort of this sacred, expansive, I'm here. So you know when I start my pray my prayers? I first say, God, I am here. It means I don't give a dink about anything else in the world. My, I am here for God. That's it. That's it. It means I'm present. I'm paying attention. I'm alert. I'm here for you and you alone. That's it. The rest of the world stops. So when you sit, you acceptance, alert mind, observe the nature of what's going on. What's not real will fall away. What's real will persist. See? So basically over time, you'll, you'll go from level to level to level of greater and greater and greater levels of insight and stability. And at different levels, there's all different kinds of events occurring. Some are grand natural forces that are occurring. Uh, then there's all kinds of and angelic David type activities going on, you know, and then there's that which cannot be described, that that can cannot be uttered is there. But in your sitting, you're you're again you're you're present for God, and then as you're present, still and alert, not judging at all, heaven will move you from realm to realm to realm, dimension to dimension to dimension each more sublime, each grander, each more stable, see? 
So you're, you're going through this, this journey of ascent, see, into greater light, greater stability, greater insight, see, until that which is can't be spoken, see. But you can't judge anything, see, you can't judge. And sometimes maybe the experiences are too overwhelming. Heaven will let you come back to common consciousness. But then you show up the very next day or the very next time that you have to do your sitting. Go again. God, I am here. I am present. Sit. Be aware. Don't judge anything. Perceive. Know that that silence is inherently divine. Just be present with that silence. And then let God do everything else. Your job is to be present and not to judge anything. Not to judge anything, but to be present. And then heaven will take you through the expansions. See? But you have to put the time in, you see. How, heaven, how patient is heaven with you? If heaven has that level of patience, what about you? You have to acquire the same quality. You're the, you're the, the seed. You're the child. The, the apple is dropped from that cosmic tree. You are the apple. You can't fall far. You have to re-embrace the nature that that has is the nature that has to be manifest here. See? So you have to acquire that patience, that non-judgmentalness, you know, that infinite cosmic spaciousness. Just be present. Be still. Be present. And then first you start with 15 minutes and 20 minutes and half hour, then an hour, then an hour and a half, then two hours. See? You slowly, as you, as you get that stability and patience, and strength within you, you, you start to continually expand the time. When a half hour becomes easy, do 45 minutes. When 45 minutes becomes easy, you do an hour. Keep pushing the envelope. This is your evolution. Your evolution is in your hands. It's in your hands. So what level of investment do you want? What level of intimacy do you want? It's in your hands. Heaven is always present, always gracious. But will you fulfill the the uh, criteria for intimacy. See, you have to fulfill the criteria for intimacy. Heaven is present. It's waiting. It's open. See, what you have to move towards. It. See, you have to clean your house basically, your psychic house, your heart, your mind. That's all that's happening. By you not being judgmental, you're cleaning up. Otherwise, you're judging everything. Judging everything based on an unillumined mind. So how good could that be? <laughs> and you're talking about relating to the ultimate reality? Come on, clean your house. Clean your house. That stillness, the purity of that stillness. Everything is being burnt up, becoming babuti. All that ash that you, of all your psychic thinking, gets burned up in that quiet, silent, fiery meditation. That babuti is the grace of God. You offer your creation to the creation. See, burn it up, burn it up, you know, and offer it to the, the God. Then you'll have success. You know, but don't die ignorant. Die more involved, evolved. Die further along. Fall forward. See, fall forward. Don't fall back. <laughs> it's possible. See. So if you, you know if you have a friend, you know like Hari, take advantage of the friendship. 
take advantage of the friendship, you know. Don't think, oh, nice guy, sort of, no. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. Take advantage, because that's the purpose of Hari, is, is to share it. Okay? So take, take the advantage. <clears throat> in order to be in this room right now, you had to have a prayer. I don't care when you said the prayer. I don't care what birth you said the prayer. You absolutely had to say a prayer. Absolutely. You can't be here without it. See? You've, you've pre-qualified yourself to be here. <laughs> so now that you're here, take the shot. Take advantage of it. And realize it's an open door. You know, and it's all based on uh, a friendship. You know, love and integrity amongst us all. And then we, we go forward. We go forward. And for you people, or people in general, some, their, their view is very choppy this week, that week, this year, that year. The teacher doesn't think like that at all. Because of God's impulse, it's like whatever it takes. You know, I'll be your friend whatever it takes, however long it takes. So one bird, ten bird, a hundred bird. That's God. That's God working through the teacher. It's, it's not choppy. You know, I'll do a couple of weeks. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, it's not like that from, from our side. It's not like that. Uh, from our side, heaven is infinitely merciful, infinitely patient. That's that, that's what has to manifest through the teacher's heart. See, as above, so below. <laughs> anyway, I I smell all the cooking in the back. So, so thank you all for coming. And like I said, the door is always open. Thank you, Sylvia, for all your camera work and so Ram Ram Krishna, Mano and his wife have come and the baby. Thank you all, one and all.